0: Jeffrey Wainwright is a professor at Duke University, the School of Theology. He says that the world is not an easy place to live doxologically. Doesn't that sound like a theological professor? I get what he means and I bet you do too. Uh, We know that this and every day generally has some challenge to it, some days more so than others. I've very much this past week, and I imagine you as well have had Orlando on your minds. Um, These past two weeks there have sent them reeling, of course, with the news of Christina Grimmie's death, who was this uh, one who presented herself on The Voice and uh, had become beloved by many and uh, was shot by someone who meant her harm there in Orlando. I know you heard the news report about the child that was but two years old that was grabbed by an alligator when the family was just close to the edges there of one of the ponds, uh, connected with that theme park. And then, of course, the irrational individual who, seeking to work out the inner turmoil in his own life, targeted a club in which he shot better than a hundred persons, 50 of whom have died. It was an unbelievable week in terms of darkness. There is darkness in our world. And so perhaps the passage of Scripture from Psalms that would be closer to where we are in our thoughts and our moods would be Psalm 137. Listen to these words. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This was written in the context of the exile of the people of Israel as they were carried away into captivity and being forced to live in a place that was so far away from their beloved homeland that they were losing their ability to see how anything could make this right. Even singing the songs of old was not going to make right what was in their hearts at that moment. And yet the truth is that we must coach ourselves into being fully grateful because, as Jeffrey Wainwright said, the world is not an easy place to live doxologically. You have to tell yourself, you have to convince yourself that it is. The Greek is two words, doxo and then logia. Doxo meaning glory and logia meaning word. A word of praise. When we present our offerings, we sing doxology. We sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. We call ourselves to remember and to give thanks. To live beyond this moment. On a daily basis, doxologically. We talk to ourselves. I have to admit, I talk to myself. I don't know if you talk to yourself, but I talk to myself. If you see me in the grocery store talking to someone, it does not necessarily mean that somebody is there. (laughs) I'm trying to remember the list, you know, of things I'm supposed to pick up. Or if you are beside me in traffic, um, you may see me talking to myself and if I have just gone by a policeman or a state patrolman, no offense, Chris, if I have just gone by a state patrolman, I will be saying to myself, slow down, slow down, slow down. (laughs) Have you ever said this to yourself? Trying to make myself do the right things, you know, and to live in the right pattern. This inner voice that is this self-coaching is what is going on in this passage that Bob read for us just a few moments ago. It is not intended at first to be directed toward God. Of course, all of Scripture is, in fact, pointed in that direction, and particularly the book of Psalms, which brings to us these hymns that were a part of worship. But this particular psalm is intended to be instruction for the singer. Now listen to it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is talking to himself, the psalmist is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Meister Eckert, 14th century Dominican theologian, used to say, if the only prayer you ever pray is thank you, that will suffice. Isn't that incredibly powerful? If the only prayer you ever pray is thank you, that will suffice. I like what Anne Lamott in her book, Traveling Mercy says... Her two favorite prayers are, the first being, help me, help me, help me. And the second being, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you pray like that? Do you pray like that? Are you convinced in your heart that there is something for which we might give thanks? Jesus knew this at the core of his being. In fact, his very first sermon shared with those that gathered on that mount. As he talked with them, he talked about blessed are the poor, which is a strange thing to say because we don't think about the poor as being very blessed. He even went so far as to say blessed are those of you who have this persecution among you those who revile you and persecute you and utter false things on my account. Evelyn Laycock, who is a resident of Lake Junaluska, Waynesville, North Carolina, she has taught many a time here in South Georgia and is a beloved Bible teacher. She says that the best way she knows how to translate that word blessed is how utterly happy are those who are poor in spirit. How utterly happy are those who mourn. How utterly happy are those who are persecuted. Think about it. It will change your perspective on this passage because Happiness and gratitude must be grasped by the one who wishes to make it a part of their life. Jesus was a person who knew this. Some Christians, to me, seem terminally mean-spirited and grumpy. Now, none of you are in that category, of course, (laughs) but occasionally I will meet someone who just hasn't gotten the memo that we are called to be cheerful in spirit and gracious in heart and mind. Their faces give them away, usually. You and I must be intentional about what we do. Yesterday there was a beautiful wedding right here. A young couple in our church got married, Brian and Sarah. They are attenders of the contemporary service that is occurring right now as I speak. Such a beautiful couple. Um, They asked a, a pastor, a friend of their families, to do that service And in the midst of it, he had such a a wit and a, a sweet humor about his leadership in the service. But particularly, I noticed that that had even carried over into the program that we were given. Because at the place where it said that the couple would be introduced to the congregation, underneath that, it had parenthetically the instructions thunderous applause and general mayhem (laughs) and I thought Ron Gilruth has got this right you know that we have to remind ourselves where things are supposed to happen and how they're supposed to happen and there was there was thunderous applause and there was general mayhem as this couple turned and as we celebrated and Grateful hearts in in unison, the beauty of what God was doing. Some of you have been to the Masters golf tournament. It's just up the road. I've never been to it. I've watched it on TV and people that hear me say that say, it's not the same. You cannot get the perspective on how beautiful uh, that course is and how the fairways how much elevation and how how uh, beautiful the greens are you cannot get the perspective on in watching it on tv and i suspect that may well be the case i hope to see that someday this is a plea for tickets you see <laughs> <laughs> um i i was fascinated i was fascinated that that to read an article. Um, that was sharing a story from the 96 Masters uh, 10 years ago. And Greg Norman was the leader for most of the tournament until he made a terrible shot and was putting himself in the position of being second. Nick Faldo took his place as the leader. And the two of them were playing side by side as they came down the fairway on the 18th and were on the, the green. Um, it was clear to everybody that, that Greg Norman had already lost. He was this emotionless individual who would shoot stares at all the other professional golfers Um, He had a hardness of spirit that um, really intimidated everybody else, this article went on to say. He was a brute force to deal with. Um, But there on the green, it was obvious that he had lost to Nick Faldo. And then Nick Faldo, putting a 15-foot birdie shot, putting it in the hole... Um, put the final dagger in that tournament and into Greg Norman. And Greg Norman was standing there as Nick Faldo began walking toward him across the green. Um, Greg stepped a little bit toward Nick Faldo and extended his hand to shake hands, which was all Greg ever did. And at that point, Nick came up And went past the hand and just gave him the biggest bear hug right there on the green. And Greg immediately began to weep on his shoulder. And because Greg was weeping on Nick's shoulder, he began to weep on Greg's shoulder. They were standing on the green crying, holding each other in an embrace. In the interview with Sports Illustrated, the writer asked Greg about that situation and said, I know you were disappointed to lose that tournament. And Greg told him, you have no idea what this is about. He said, it wasn't about losing the Masters. He said, I've lost lots of tournaments. He said, "This was not about that at all." He said, "Let me tell you." He said, "I don't talk about this." He said, "But he said I was I was raised in a rather hard family in an environment in which my father showed me very little affection throughout all of my years growing up." He said, "I can remember um, when my father would go off on business trips and we would go to meet him at the airport. That I would stand there waiting for the plane's door to open and wanting so." to go and to run and to simply hug him, but I knew I couldn't do that because my dad didn't allow that to happen. When my dad would approach me, he would extend his hand and we would shake hands. He said, on that green, he said, on that green, when Nick Valdo grabbed me and gave me that hug, he said, I collapsed into him because it was something that I have so wanted All of my life. Now is that a dark thing to mention on Father's Day? But you you see where, where this goes, don't you? It is what damage our not living into that daily gratitude will do to others that are near us. We must... We must rely on other Christians to help us get this right. And I don't know about Nick Valdo's faith. I I have no idea about that. But I can tell you that God used him in that moment to do something incredibly important for Greg Norman. Some of you have heard me tell the story, but that's okay. I like to tell it, and so I'm going to tell it again. Um, that our family loved to go up into the North Georgia mountains when our girls were little, and we would go to see sights up there, and uh, we would stay in cabins occasionally and just tour the area. And we had gone um, just outside of Helen, Georgia, to see Anna Ruby Falls. Some of you have been there. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful fall. It's not huge, but it is it is formed by... Uh, the water from this, this small creek, really, that falls a, a long distance off of this, this rock. And you, to get to where it is, you have to go beside the creek and walk up toward the falls. You probably walk for a couple of miles, maybe three miles, before you get there. You're worn out by the time that you get to the falls. And it is just gorgeous. I mean, it was on that day, as I remember it. Um, more than we had ever imagined that it would be. We were worn out. We sat down on some of the benches that were there. But the mist from the falls and our girls standing there with their arms out like this, you know, it it was just more than we could take in. It was just such a beautiful day. And they almost seemed to be embracing the falls. When we made our way down the mountain on that little path, I think it was Sue that started this, but she started skipping down that path, and then Margaret, our daughter Margaret, began skipping, and Sarah began skipping, and Rachel began skipping, and I began skipping. All five Bagwell's were skipping down that mountain, and it was the most delightful thing. We were just in our own world, and we passed by a man that was walking up the mountain, and he stopped And as we passed him, he hollered at us and said, hey, hey, no one is allowed to be that happy. (laughs) And we were just in our own world. It was just, we were so filled to overflowing with gratitude for what God was doing. But it was something that we were living into. It's not something that we had created. Sue set it in motion, I do believe, when she started skipping. But it was something that each of us had to choose to live into. Now, I have read many a story that you all have helped us together in uh, in celebration of uh, the history of Pittman Park Church. It is not possible that we could recount all of those, even in the little booklet that we're putting together, Uh, nor could I tell all of the ones that have told me how they came to be members here at Pittman Park. Uh, Some of you have told me that it wasn't so much the pastor's visit that was important, but it it was a member, another member in the congregation that had come to visit you. They might have brought a loaf of bread. They may have just come to say, we're glad that you were with us in worship, and we look forward to to you being with us again um, in Sunday school maybe next week or in our small group or in worship again. And those kinds of connections were so critically important to you. And you're evidence of that. You're sitting here. Those stories are powerful because it is one person's gratitude becoming a part of another person and generating gratitude in them to the point that you set in motion something that God alone can actually do. It is powerful to think about how much we are affected by our own gratitude and by the gratitude of others. I do not want to miss the opportunity to read another psalm, which in my Bible happens to be simply on the other side of the page. Psalm 100. Listen to these words. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Again, instructions to us about what we should be doing. I give thanks to God for you, and I want you to know it, but I also want you to join with me in giving thanks for each other, and may God use all of this gratitude to his glory, to his glory.